0: Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 59 for Sunday, June 29th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are the creative team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. To learn more about the film and sign up for updates... Head on over to inbarfilm.com. That's I N B A R film.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out The Advocate Experience. This is a program we've been running for a few months where you can actually help us shape the film. You get access to behind the scenes material, special updates every two weeks, and opportunities to provide feedback on our work. We have a great group of people already participating, and if you're at all interested, we would love for you to be a part of it. Our guest today is Stefan Schmidt, who is the director for internet for the director of the international Forensics program at Physicians for the Human Rights. And today we're going to talk about some of his work in Guatemala and uh, with the uh, forensic anthropology. A lot of big words there, but yeah. we are so <laughs> glad to have you. And uh, for our listeners at home who aren't who may not be familiar with your work. Could you just give us a brief overview of who you are and um, and what you do? Yeah, um,
1: as you said, Nelson, my name is uh, Stefan Schmidt. I'm actually a German national. I'm a green card uh, holder and resident here in the United States since 1996. But um, <clears throat> I uh, left Germany in 1987 to go to Guatemala to study archaeology. Uh, That was my goal and uh, my undergraduate actually is in in archaeology, Mayan archaeology. And I worked as an archaeologist in Guatemala. Um, In 1996, I decided that um, I needed a um, graduate degree and I came to the United States and did my master's in criminology and criminal justice at Florida State University while at the same time working at the Florida Department of Law Enforcement in their crime scene section. Uh, And in 2006, I took on uh, the position as Director of uh, Physicians for Human Rights International Forensics Program. I knew Physicians for Human Rights already from my past in Guatemala, where I had helped uh, found the Guatemalan Forensic Anthropology Team which later in life uh, developed into the foundation for forensic anthropology in Guatemala which is quite a large institution dedicated to the identification of the dead and disappeared from the 1980s uh, war in uh, Guatemala and in Central America uh, and amongst other things they have uh, a DNA laboratory now which uh, we as Physicians for Human Rights also uh, um, Help set up in some ways, and um, and they also work on identification of children who were kidnapped during the war uh, and then adopted uh, by people around the world. Now, um, to go even farther back, that's the kind of the short summary of uh, of who I am. But you know, to go to delve a little farther back into why I I got into this work, I want to say that I was. Um, I grew up in Afghanistan and we came back from Afghanistan to Germany. My father was a mathematician at the University of Bochum and taught there, professor. Um, And We lived in Afghanistan for seven years and we came back to Germany and I was a little misplaced. I had grown up, you know, three trilingual speaking Dari on the streets, uh, German at home and English uh, at the school that I went to. I went to, (laughs) out of all places, a Baptist school in (laughs) Afghanistan, a private Baptist school. Uh, with quite an international audience, but um, so when I came back to Germany, my German, of course, wasn't as polished as my German teacher would have uh, liked it. Uh, I subsequently hated my German lessons, um, but made it through school fine. Came to the United States as a foreign exchange student uh, when I was 16, 17, and 83, 84. And one of the things that happened was i remember i don't know if you remember the movie disappeared or missing is it called missing or disappeared with uh jack uh what's his name Jack Lemon
0: mm-hmm. about um, Argentina
1: yeah, about Argentina. I remembered watching that movie, and I was just you know i would i just you know you watch that movie and you have this sense of uh uh of being powerless of you know of just looking at this injustice not being able to do anything about it and it was something that really struck me. And shortly thereafter, um, I don't know if it was months or even a year after or something like that, there was the famous incident where a, a US, I think it was a U.S. journalist was uh, executed on the streets in El Salvador. Uh, and his cameraman actually filmed the whole situation. And uh, eventually I ended up in that part of the world, in Guatemala, not in El Salvador. But um, one of the things that was still ongoing very much was, was the war. I mean, I remember um, when I was studying archaeology, and at that point I hadn't really gotten involved in human rights or anything like that. I was studying at a private university in Guatemala, which was quite a um, privileged and uh, um, you know, institution, basically, you know, equivalent of the American University in Guatemala. At the time, we were like 400 students at the university, so very little. And our professors were from, you know, Oxford and England and, you know, from renowned universities in the United States. So our classes were, you know, half a dozen to a dozen people, so very small. Um, And I studied anthropology and and archaeology there. And I remember one day we were driving out to uh, um, a... Archaeological site in Guatemala, somewhere down on the south coast, and I was sitting in the Toyota Land Cruiser, one and one of those short wheelbase ones. I it was horrible experience driving eight hours in that damn thing, <laughs> right <laughs> over the axle, and being bounced around. I had a, you know, thank God, at this age, I wouldn't want to take it anymore, but. Uh, so we were driving driving out there, and I remember driving on the on one of the main highways, on the coastal highways on the south coast in in Guatemala, and we had this truck come up at us, and he was flashing his lights, and you know I couldn't figure out what was going. So we come over the hill, and all of a sudden over the hill we see this uh, Jeep Cherokee, which had been stopped, and a bunch of armed guys around it, amongst others, you know, with a big heavy uh, machine gun. Um, and a couple of dead bodies splayed out in private guard uniforms. Hmm. And, you know, when we, of course, you know, drove right by and just kept on heading out, you know, putting a lot of distance between them and us. And as it turns out, uh, this was uh, the guerrilla movement in in Guatemala that had just assaulted a uh, a money transport for the pay for some farm, uh, for one of the, Plantations. Actually, it wasn't a plantation. I actually met the owner of the place. Uh, it was a shrimp farm on the south coast, and they were expecting um, the cash money to pay their workers, and that had been assaulted by these guys who came out of the cornfields and uh, and killed the guards. And I remember driving by there and just thinking, you know, how horrible it was that you know these guys were just doing their job. I mean, it wasn't even their money, and then they get killed you know over this kind of thing and you know they most most likely they have no ideological stake in in this thing they just want to be able to pay the bills like <laughs> most people in the world want to do um and through that you know at some point you you see so much injustice i mean there were there were still incidents in Guatemala where you know the military would uh basically nail guerrillas you know to a cross alongside the road you know their eyes poked out and still half alive uh, to send a message, or the military would come around and round up all the poor young kids in order to force, forcibly recruit them into the Army. Those were all things that I witnessed. I mean, this this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you kind of, I don't know, you know, outwardly kind of shrugged your shoulders and went on with your life, but, uh, you know, inwardly it was just some. It was a horrible, horrible injustice situation, and, and there was certainly an understanding to why you know you would take up arms in order to fight this type of injustice I certainly saw you know a certain legitimacy in doing that <clears throat> Um and at one point I remember a friend of mine he was a journalist for Reuters and he was shooting um uh, you know doing photographs and selling them at fifty dollars apiece at the time <laughs> he Was barely making it by and he was going to travel the highlands and I was on summer vacation from university and uh, decided i'm going to go with him and we heard about this exhumation going on of a mass grave somewhere in the highlands and i was like what mass grave highlands you know let's go and check this out so we drive out there and it turns out was a bunch of young argentines and you know this american you know smoking cigars and more cigarettes than you know normal people can even buy in a day and 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 they were you know digging up a mass grave and sure enough there were skeletons in there and i thought you know wow this is a wonderful opportunity Learned some physical anthropology amongst other things. At the time, I didn't even know what forensic anthropology was. If you would have said, "Oh, those are forensic anthropologists," I would have asked, "What? What's that?" Um, And so I offered my services, so to say. Uh, Turns out it was Clyde Snow and the Argentinian forensic anthropology team were digging a mass grave there, and we take the bones to the morgue in Guatemala City where Clyde was doing his analysis. And I helped out with translating this that and the other, and one thing led to another, and the whole idea was you know I finally thought you know this you know this is better than wielding a gun and putting up a fight you know um this was my you know option of you know what are you going to do in a war and I felt like you know tell- you know doing contributing something in order to give people a voice who haven't had a voice to bring truth to light uh was important in. Influencing the way Guatemala was going to continue to, you know, down the road of history, so to say. And what was really interesting is is that, you know, I like I said, I studied at the university, a really elite university in Guatemala, and one of my friends who um, studied with me um, actually is one of the owners of uh, one of the major newspapers down there. And she is now. At the time, she was (laughs) granddaughter of the owner, and you know. Daughter of uh, one of the main editors, she's a editor herself now. But mm-hmm. I remember she, you know, we're sitting in the cafeteria and she says, you know, why, why do you have to pull out these old skeletons out of the closet? Nobody wants to know that. You're just opening up old wounds, you know, those, you know that kind of that kind of rhetoric. But what was interesting is that over the years that we continued, dig, you know, continued digging. You know, once I, I started up the team and you know asked a couple of uh, friends from university and from other universities also friends you know to start you know founding the forensic anthropology team, and we started off with you know half a dozen students, so to say that you know and were trained by Clyde the Argentines, Karen Burns, and several other forensic anthropologists and forensic pathologists amongst others you know all dispatched and organized through uh, uh mm, physicians for human rights as well as the American academy for the fren- uh for the advancement of uh sciences <coughs> And over the years, you know, her attitude completely changed. Um, you know, when we discovered I remember when we started digging, the mass graves were, you know, on the order of ten, twenty, maybe thirty people, uh, or several different graves that would amount to some number like that. And at some point we decided, okay, we've got to go in some other department in Guatemala that hasn't had any attention yet, so that we don't focus only on one specific uh, you know, ethnic group or um and we ended up going into Bajaverapaz, and it was very interesting because nobody had ever heard of Verapaz and human rights violations there. Everybody knew about the Quichés and you know and the and and the conflict in one area of Guatemala. And we go down there and we happen to arrive there the day that all the Catholic priests uh, from all the different parishes had come together in the main town down there. And we tell them of our story, and of course their eyes grow bigger and bigger. And one of them you know his eyes you know he immediately became very excited and he said you know I just came back from a mass grave with a hundred eighty people in it and our jaws just dropped to the ground and said what a hundred eighty people you you're, you're kidding right uh, nobody you know we had a hard time believing that that was the case and uh, so one thing led to another and the team then exhumed that grave which is the grave at Rio Negro which was a hundred I think the minimum number we had was a hundred and sixty four but you know, a lot of bodies had washed out, so uh and all of them women and children mm-hmm.
0: uh, so so it you know it sounds um in your younger years, I guess you had these very transformative experiences <laughs> you know for, it seems like the film was a big moment in your life, and then going down and and witnessing these injustices in person how much do you think that sort of shaped your career or or the work that you do i mean it sounds like a lot but completely you know what what does it mean to you i guess um not just on the work but like personally i know you touched on on this a little bit that that how could you not do something right this was your way of of giving yeah
1: well i mean it was you know it was my way of becoming involved like i said i mean i've always you know i grew i you know I grew up in in the eighties you know when the sandinistas for us left wing folks were the heroes you know who who you know i mean I had high school teachers in Germany who went and volunteered you know for the sandinistas in nicaragua you know we you know I grew up in an area era where we always felt that you know Latin America you know was suppressed by you know the evil empire being the United States and you know and and to a certain degree you know cuba and and that armed resistance was a noble thing okay and i you know obviously i'm not quite of that opinion anymore but you know that was something that you know drove me but at the same time you know i've witnessed how you know how how armed conflict is is a is is you know is a never ending circle and it needs to be broken at some point you know that i can see how it's legitimate that you have to defend yourself with weapons with force at some point you know sometimes people have no choice but you know at the same time it's also important that there are people well like us you know that you know could go around and at some point try to break that chain you know by by telling the truth by 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 bringing by creating a dialogue where before you know there was no dialogue where before there were just bullets and disappeared people and death and revenge you know um, at some point you know these things need to be brought you know, ideally speaking into a court of law, but you know, they need to be brought to the point where, you know, where like I said, like my friend from 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 the newspaper, all of a sudden the newspaper started writing articles in favor of what we were doing. You have to remember, and this is a very conservative family that had, you know, family members, you know, kidnapped and 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 uh, you know and and for ransom and things like that by the guerrilla movement in Guatemala. They certainly weren't, you know, big fans of the guerrilla movement but you know when 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 this came up you know even the press started moving towards okay yeah this is you know this might be a solution and eventually Guatemala did change and the war did come to an end I mean another war started but you know the you know that particular part of the war ended and I mean the dialogue is ongoing it still exists in Guatemala and I mean you can see you know the trial of Rios Mont, um, you know whether you agree with it or, you, or not but either way you know it is part of the dialogue with the past of, with a very very violent past and I think that's very that is something very important um, for Guatemalans and for anybody who's been affected by this violence and I think that you know for instance what what you're doing Nelson is 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 that you know this dialogue needs to be held here in the United States too because the U.S. you know our attitude here okay had a lot to do with all the killings and the death and the suffering and all this other stuff that was happening in Latin America. I mean Ronald Reagan mm. you know slapped Rios Mon on the back and told him how great a anti-communist he was you know <laughs> you know and and you know and I mean under Ronald Reagan you know the Contras and in some of the most horrific you know, human rights viol- uh, violators were funded. Uh,
0: you know, I mean, yeah. I don't
1: want to lay, it's not, United States is not to blame for everything, but certainly, you know, carries a big share in it.
0: I said on this show a couple of weeks ago that um, I was watching Rachel Maddow on the, on the Daily Show and she had this great quote where she said, you know, um, she was talking about the war in Iraq and she said, it was sort of the great sin of the 21st century and the only way that we can move past it is to go back and have a dialogue about why we did it, and and I think that that's what you're touching upon here, is that we need to talk about what happened in order for a country or many countries to mm. move past their 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 history. So, um, well,
1: I mean, we also we also have to hold our perpetrators accountable. You know, I mean, you yeah. know, if you ask me, anybody in Latin America, John Negroponte is one of the worst war criminals ever. Okay, this is my personal opinion. I'm talking here completely out of my own gut, from you know, from what I saw and lived in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. You know, I mean, we didn't only dig up people in 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 Guatemala. We dug up people in El Salvador and Honduras. That's you know, when all of a sudden you start putting two and two together. I mean, most Guatemalans never get to go to you know Honduras or El Salvador, even though it's just a hopscotch away. But you know, the fact of it is, is that you know, the Cold War. And this anti-communist counterinsurgency strategy pushed by the United States was something that inf- you know that that affected everybody in those countries. And and in in a horrific way. And I mean, you know, uh, yeah, John Negroponte it- was in Iraq. Shortly thereafter we had Death Squads in Iraq. You know, I mean I don't know if that had to do with John Negroponte going there, but you know, he certainly had something to do with that in El Salvador and the Death Squads. You know, I mean, I don't have you know the forensic proof of that, but you know, there certainly is enough literature out there that substantiates those kind of suspicions. Mm. You know, and that's what I'm saying is, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. When when I heard that they were sending him over there in order to take care of you know the <laughs> of the sectarianism, I thought, oh my God! And surely enough, you know, shortly thereafter there were all these mentions of death squads and this, that, and the other in Iraq. Yeah.
0: Surprise, surprise. And this concludes the first part of this multi series podcast with Stefan. The interview, the full interview, went uh, longer than our usual podcast. We like to keep these around 20 minutes, so we will be airing the rest of the interview over the course of the next couple weeks. We look forward to bringing those to you, and thank you so much for being here with us. Hope you have a wonderful week.